Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo, ho, ho, and a bottle of rum. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. There are no survivors. There are no survivors. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe we dabble in history, stress, the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every week. Or Two weeks so- in a row. Somewhere in there, yeah. It's a Movies by Minute podcast, in case you're new here, and that means breaking down each and every single freaking minute of the films in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. We just so happen to be on Dead Man's Chest for the last six years, seven years? Yeah, something like that. Somewhere around there. I'm Scott Artis, your host from scottartis.com. Your host? I'm the host. What am I? Chop liver? I don't know. You can announce yourself however you choose. <laughs> I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlshow.com. You couldn't even muster up a host, could you? No. A co-host or nothing. Look nope. at that. Thanks for joining us today for episode 111 of season two. And that means plundering minutes 122 and 123 of Dead Man's Chest. Hope we didn't shock anybody, though. Not too badly, you know, by returning as promised. Was everyone (laughs) taking wagers to see if we'd actually be back? Oh, that'd be good, dude. That would be funny. That everybody's doing that? (laughs) Yeah. You guys don't have to lie to us. You know you're taking wagers. (laughs) Put it on the... um, The poll on the the Facebook group? The Cursed Listeners Crew group? Yeah. We have our Facebook page and we have a Facebook group. I'm trying to get more active in it. Which one? I don't know any of them, really. <laughs> so horrible at social media. But it was great to see all the welcome messages, you know, the the welcome back messages, I should say. And we're also really glad to be chatting up pirates once again, at least I am. I don't know about you. Because I'll tell you how bad it got. We even completely missed the NorCal Pirate Festival in June year, 2019. Yeah. And that freaking event is in the next town over. I mean, it's literally <laughs> right there. It's not like we have to go anywhere. We go, take a eight-minute drive. It's eight miles away or something like that. I mean, poof, looked it up, and all of a sudden, boom, it's the end of the year. I, I mean, something it, happened, though. We had something well, that we had came to, up. We, well, we did. We had to, like, move quickly and all yeah, that kind okay, of stuff. Yeah, okay, that was it, yeah. It was all during that you time. You know that move thing. Yeah. But it's on the calendar for this year, though. And, you know, I'm going to see if I'm brave enough, actually. To dress to up? <laughs> no, not going to do that. <laughs> I'll wear a hat. Um, but I need to be representing the podcast, probably. Uh, But I'm going to see if maybe I should uh, be brave enough to do a Facebook Live thing from there. I know. Scary stuff. Or at least maybe I could do a Facebook Live of the uh, ship to shore battle. That might maybe something work. Yeah. I don't know. Facebook Live thing would be kind of cool, actually. I could try it. Maybe a couple of them from there being at the event. Don't promise anything, though. (laughs) I didn't say I promised. I said I, I might think about it. You know my history with promises. Speaking of missing stuff, though. There were so many rumors we missed out on for Pirates of the Caribbean. 
Imagine all those wasted conversations, all that kind of analyzing of things that will never materialize. (laughs) So much Pirates of the Caribbean 6. It's just floating around in the ether there, which I think is good because that means Disney and fans are just itching for it. They're scratching their merkins for, I don't know what, like some good old red pirate action. That's what I'm thinking. That's what they're doing. Yeah. They're looking for it. They're waiting for Pirates of the Caribbean 6. Scratching their merkins. Hey, don't repeat things. Just let it go. (laughs) It's the sly stuff that just pops in and people will go, what did he just say? And then if they don't know, they'll look it up and then they'll be horrified. So you're just supposed to, you're not supposed to highlight it. You're just supposed to let it go. It's like way, way, way back at some point when I mentioned, uh, what is that? The uh, world famous Poxy Boggards song, um, The Good Ship Venus. Is that what it is? I can't think of it right now. I don't know. Is that what it is? I think so. I referenced it, just slid it in, and then, you know, kind of the good ship. What the hell is the name of that? Not the good ship like Lollipop. What the what the hell am I thinking about here? Honestly. I think it is. Yeah, it's right. It's aboard the good ship Venus by the world famous Poxy Boggards. Aboard. Aboard the good ship Venus. Oh, okay. Not a board? Not a Borg. That's Star a Trek. <laughs> I'm talking aboard. But before this whole extended hiatus thing, things were... It's a good way to explain it. Yeah, that's all I'm going to leave. We're not going to talk about it anymore. There were things starting to move forward with the sixth movie, having recruited Deadpool writers Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, I think it was. And literally, this was taking place a year ago. They dropped out. Then a month later, apparently Terry Rossio was in talks with Disney to write for the sixth movie, one of the original writers for Pirates of the Caribbean. And then all this has been pos- kind of positions as possibly like catapulting Depp from the franchise after allegations from his once partner Amber Heard popped up about some abuse and stuff like that. Even that wind has shifted with some fans after leaked audio recently popped up that she had abused him or something like that. I haven't really been following it. But I do know that it sparked some online petitions to like keep Johnny Depp uh-huh. in the movie as Sparrow and... Why did she do that? So it's just this whole nightmare. Well, I'm not going to get into that. I'm just, I don't know if I have the energy. Or the details. I don't have the details either. I didn't want to put in the energy to find out the details. I just know because I've heard through the... Uh, grapevine. Grapevine. I was kind of kind of up with a pirate term instead. Oh, I'm but, sorry. Uh, that that's out there. But as we kind of, I figured I would just leave that as it is. But we can go down the rumor mill road a little bit. Because there's been suggestions that the next movie could include a female lead. Which is definitely a possibility given the launch of Red on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. A new kind of female pirate took over the uh, Scarlet kind of uh, position that was there. We want to say that. Aye. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Jeez. I don't even know what to do with that. Nice. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> I mean, I just could just roll. It's like all of a sudden an outtake. I can't stop laughing because you did that. I mean, oh, God. Karen Gillen, I think it is. Gillen? Gillen? I don't know. You're asking I guess I'm person. not up on uh, Karen anyways. But Emma Watson, I can. I know that one. Uh, or even linked Pirates. to a female oh. lead pirate role, as reports suggest Disney wants to move on from Sparrow, as I said. And kind of focus on a new pirate star. Reboot the franchise, build a new audience. That's kind of 
what's been floating around out there. And with all that, I then come across another kind of long pork morsel that goes down the recast role of Zac Efron. What? Just, what? What now? <laughs> Throwing. Yeah, that's a pirate word, all right. <laughs> Our term. <laughs> it is. It's in Dead Man's I Chest. I think it's a cannibal term. <laughs> it is a cannibal term. <laughs> Just let it go. The people will go, I don't, I remember I them talking I about long pork. I wasn't going to say anything. You started giggling. Because you're laughing here in the studio. People can't see what's happening. I'm trying to get through some Zach Efron as Jack Sparrow talk and uh, just was, you know, kind of trying to liven up my morsel talk here with some long pork action. Which we still haven't gotten on, and mind you, because of the hiatus, our food podcast that most of you probably have heard about and, and know that it's coming. It's at the table with the Donner Party. <laughs> now, that is going to be one spectacular podcast if you're into food. But anyways, this Zac Efron, is Jack Sparrow thing has kind of popped up in the last month or so. And so it's all over the place. And then even back in October, Cinema Blend posed this Pirates of the Caribbean without depth to a couple of veteran Pirates of the Caribbean actors to see what they thought. Uh, Vincent Lozano, he played Jacoby. He was the bomb-throwing one in the very first yeah. one. You know, the one that will, you know, gets the hit, drops it, and kind of, yeah. Fire dangling from Yeah, that guy. And then uh, Martin Kleba, uh, you know, Marty. Marty. Yeah. Uh, and so they posed that, and here's... What Vincent had to say. He says, Johnny Depp was so iconic in the role of Jack Sparrow and so powerful. And was... And, now, see, I butchered it. Great. This is why I'm not in the movie, probably. <laughs> probably. Can't, get, can't read my lines. <laughs> can't read a quote. And so, he was so powerful. And so was Jeffrey Rush, Orlando Bloom, Kara Knightley, and all those guys. I mean, it would be hard to replace those performers because they're so connected to the film. I mean... I'm all for it if it's something completely different, but if they're going to try to replace Jack Sparrow with another actor, I don't know if it's a smart thing to do. So that's his take on it. it. And then Martin jumps in and basically doubled down on that thought, saying, part of me is like, how do you do a Jesus movie without Jesus? But if they go in a different direction, it would have to be somebody that's just as huge. Huge box office draw, because I don't know that the story will really hold the fans from yesteryear to... It if it's not something they can get behind, and so it's like both of these guys are like, yeah, they can maybe if they if they're going in a different direction, but to recast Jack Sparrow, it's no. almost like uh, cutting your own throat. I yeah, guess. Cutting, yeah, cutting the franchise because nobody there. could play Jack Sparrow the way he played it. Exactly, John. He being Johnny. That's correct. You know, it's like you go to the you go out to eat expecting to get a nice long pork meal. But instead, they just serve you regular pork. It's completely different, it's and you're so disappointed. Disappointing. <laughs> it is. You're very disappointed. I also came across something kind of to think about from like an entertainment writer kind of thing. And uh, Herb Scribner uh, was talking about some stuff, and he was contemplating how Disney could move beyond the Johnny Depp, Jack Sparrow kind of thing. He thought maybe using a Hunt for Jack Sparrow plot, hmm. and. The idea is that you introduce a new female lead who's looking for Sparrow. That kind of takes the Emma Watson, Karen, Gillen, Gillum, whatever the hell her name was. Okay? Hopefully she never wants to come on the show because then she'd know I butchered her name. But that's what he's actually kind of thinking about, like, this Pirates of the Caribbean story could be. 
it's more of like a Force Awakens kind of thing. You don't actually see Luke Skywalker until the end. You don't actually maybe see Jack Sparrow until the end. And then he poses, what if when you see Jack Sparrow, it's a young Jack Sparrow? So it's, it turns out the whole time you've been watching a prequel mm. without needing Johnny Depp. So it keeps Jack and the keeps in the story, the Jack, the timeline. But boom, all of a sudden it's a prequel and it's a different actor. Very interesting. So I'm not exactly sure what I'd like to see yet from me personally. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if multiple rumors turned out to be true. I mean, at least like are being considered. Because there doesn't have to be, I think, one or the other. A theatrical release for Pirates of the Caribbean 6 with a you know female lead, maybe red. As well as a possible recast. I mean, you could do a reboot, a prequel, it kind of the, something that pops up on Disney+. Plus. I mean, Disney has shown that with Star Wars... They're willing to do a theater thing and a streaming service thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could do both formats. You could just drive people to their streaming service. I mean, I could see them adding a new Pirates of the Caribbean universe character storyline like they did with The Mandalorian. Or that they're planning to do a Star Wars Cassian Andor series on Disney+. And I think everything is on the table at this point. But I'm just kind of, for me, looking forward to seeing where all this is going to go. And like the minutes, I mean, we're going to discuss here shortly... Having kind of a swashbuckler action on the big screen is good, but also at your house is good. I mean, who wouldn't want that as long as they're delivering like the good cinematography or the great cinematography that happens and characters in the Pirates kind of movies that we've seen before. Kind of the, the traditions that the films have established already. This great panoramic cinematography, ocean, ships, you know, if it looks realistic and looks good, if they could do that, which they can now... I I think that would be wonderful. Well, I'm not missing the big screen with Baby jo- Baby Yoda. Well, that's uh, you wouldn't want to see Baby Yoda just. Well, I big said I'm not missing cute. the big screen with it. Well, I, I, I'm I okay with you'd watching like it to at see home. him really big blown up on the screen, but to have him in the comfort of your own home is even better because he's just so cuddly. Yes, I mean I, I think that's part of it though because times have changed, right? I mean. Sure, like you're saying, it's good to see like something on the big screen, especially some big kind of theatrical swashbuckler. Yeah. But home experiences have like become incredible lately. Well, yeah. TVs are better. I mean, when I posted the kind of the question to the Cursed Listeners crew on Facebook, Cynthia chimed in that she'd love to see a six movie. But if it doesn't happen, a Disney Plus show would be great. And then we'd get a lot more pirates. So... And then she goes on to say, so many options now, I just want more Pirates of the Caribbean material. Yeah. And I think that's exactly the crux of it. I mean, TV has evolved so much. When TV budgets kind of rival movie budgets now, anything is possible. And they're kind of now like, it's almost like you're watching a long movie now. There's so many just of these, the cable really changed the the dynamic of television yeah. and sitcoms and stuff like that. Well, and then like Netflix and Disney Plus that's, and all yeah, that kind exactly. of stuff are all changing it even more. Yep. I mean, Mandalorian is a great example of that. I mean, it shows Disney can actually do this stuff. And then imagine a Pirates of the Caribbean series, 10 episodes a season. I mean, it's so much that can be done with that. And I think it could really build that new audience that they're looking for. Drive people to their theme parks. The big bucks sell merchandise for it. And then obviously it gets people into the the theater for the next movie. I heard they raise their price for their theme park. I don't know what to say about that. And I wouldn't disparage Disney if they're listening and don't forget about me, my uh, grant proposal that you invited me to submit for burrowing owl conservation. I did to the Disney Conservation Fund, just in case you're listening. It's me. 
I like pirates and I like burrowing owls, and I would uh, greatly appreciate your support. Disney <laughs> Conservation Fund. This uh, this plug brought to you by Scott Artis and the Urban Bird Foundation. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. I don't want to disparage them on the air. I want to make sure that we're all good. The only question, though, I would have if they did do a series kind of thing. It's like, how would we tackle that for the show? And I'm probably thinking it'd be more of like a specific episode discussion that kind of mixes in with the current movie by minute breakdown. You know, you just, yeah. you know, as it pops up, we just do an episode breakdown. Oh, that's all I got to say about that. Exactly. No, no minute, minute by minute. No, no, not minute by minute of the episode. You'd never get out of here. This show would go on for decades. God. Before we get to this uh, week's minute, though, might you have a pirate word of the week? Or did you forget to do one? No, I actually have two. I was just trying to decide which one to do. We'll do... I know you're, you can slip out of the habit of pirate word of the week, so you better just choose one. Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate word of the week in five, four... Three, two, yar. Okay, let's go with the one that's in this episode. Oh, let's do it. How about four yard? Four yard. Mm-hmm. It's a yard on the lower mast of a square ridged foremast of a ship used to support the fore sail. It's a mouthful of sailing words there. <laughs> I wish we had an actual sailor here that could really double down on that for me. Because it does come up and I... I remember trying to look up some stuff about it and some sailing terms. Because there's a number of sailing terms that come up. I wasn't real impressed and I thought, you know, I could make myself look dumb. So I decided I, to just take one of those terms. That's and, probably a good idea. And give you the definition. That'll of work. But I'm liking that you're getting back into the swing of Pirate Word of the Week by bringing it home to the minute. Yeah. It's nice when it connects. Yeah. Even though this one. I don't like to connect all the time, but you know, oh, sometimes. Most of the time. And where it is in this minute, it is... Oh, I should have grabbed my other notes. Will says, brace up the foreyard. And that's what I was trying to look up. Brace up the foreyard. it got complicated to some extent and trying to explain it succinctly, I just abandoned ship. Boom, that was my new sailing term. Abandoned ship. Abandoned ship. (laughs) In the previous minutes, Hadris Kappa was detained. Norrington does his best impersonation of the final girl horror movie trope. Pintel and Rigetti pull their ropes, and Jack has a hankering for Scoongeely with a side of dirt. Minute 122 begins with the Flying Dutchman's cannons continuing to emerge. In a meek voice, Jack orders the Black Pearl crew, hard to starboard, sparking Elizabeth to yell the command and sending Will, Gibbs, and the crew to act. Minute 123 ends with the crew of the Flying Dutchman turning the capstan to summon the Kraken, or Kraken, depending on how you want to do that, but I think we should just establish, I call it Kraken here. Let's just, it's Kraken, as far as I'm concerned. Marty yells. It was supposed to be pronounced Kraken. I know, that's why I say it. And messed it up. I'm doing that for the audience because I don't want somebody to come in, but I've always heard it as the Kraken. Come on, this gets back to Clash of the Titans. Release the Kraken! Yeah, that's what I, that's where I, see, I grew up with that movie and it's seared into my mind, so I say Kraken. Marty yells, they're giving up, which causes the Black Pearl's crew to celebrate. Prematurely, perhaps. Getting back to Scoongeely. Going to Scoongeely land. Hey, yeah. What did you say it was again? Scoongeely. Yeah. It's a. It. It's like food, though, but it was part of a mollusk. And I think, and I had it in the show notes because I did want to correct myself. I was going back and forth, like, what were we talking about? Cephalopods and mollusk, and because yeah. Scoongeely was mollusk, and we were talking about cephalopods. But yeah, I remember that. So, but cephalopods are part of the mollusk thing. So. 
I just wanted to make sure everybody did know. <laughs> I do know that. I did correct that in the show notes, but I just wanted to make that since you brought Scoongeely back up. Well, Scoongeely, as as what um, IMDb says, the Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest IMDb, uh-huh. um, it actually says is an unpopular meal that consists of sea snails or conch sliced and served on many varieties. And I can see very well why it's unpopular. <laughs> That's just not something I would go towards. No, it doesn't sound yummy. Escargot? No. Mm. And just dressing... Escargot sounds better than scoongeely. Come on. Even though escargot is not necessarily sliced like that. Or it isn't. I don't know. I haven't eaten it. Escargot just comes in the snails, right? It's I don't snail, know. I'm not going to... Yeah, that's... Eat them? As far as I know From it From what does. I've seen on TV. That's my whole experience with escargot. I've never seen it in person. But what I'm saying is... Is if one's snails and the other one is snails or a mixture of snails and whatever mollusks, other mollusks type stuff. Okay. Mm. Gastropods um, for snails. Um, I'm just saying scoongeely is not a better word. It doesn't like make you go, oh, I thought we were talking about escargot. Scoongeely is an entirely different story. I'll lap that stuff up. No. No? I don't think so. Oh, Okay. Maybe if my option at the Donner Party table is long pork, I might think about some scoongeely or escargot. <laughs> and I've said I might think about it. I'm not even sure I would. But I don't want to necessarily out myself here as, you know, with cannibalistic tendencies. But before we, A, dive deeper into my eating habits or into the minute, here's my top 10 things. Uh, kind of a few of my favorite things you could say. In this minute? For this two minutes. For the two ten minutes. Mi- two minutes. Not 10 minutes. People two, go crazy. Two minutes. Although that's a good way to wrap this thing up and just start fresh <laughs> with the third season. But here we go. And I don't know if it's in particular order. Maybe it is. But I'm going to count from one to ten being ten like the greatest. Possibly. No. You're right. It's not. Number one is the, the like my top as I look at it again. I, I'm confused. Very. Well, I wrote the, I wrote the list Number and I'm really looking at top, it. Number five your top. It'll end up being. Uh, what? Number five. Will How end up dare being you? Your no, top. this is not rude. Uh, <laughs> man, my list. What are you doing to me today? So I'm going to just start with number one. This is my favorite part. I'll go down to the 10. I know it doesn't have any build up because you're ending with the one that's like the 10. Nobody ever does that. Hey, but I'm a rebel. Number one. It's kind of my favorite line from these minutes. Let them taste the triple guns. Now, Davy mm. Jones saying that, that is just a good line. Yeah. I like that. Has a. Uh, Scoongeely kind of a, <laughs> a reference to it, you know, eating. Not a long pork one? No. Oh, okay. I'm really full, though. <laughs> Number two is kind of a missed opportunity for a Wilhelm screen, but I think that's good and bad from a certain point of view. That's when one of the cannonballs hits and a guy gets flung overboard on the Black Pearl. He does a yelp, but it's not a Wilhelm screen. So I thought that was good and bad. If you remember, they already used one in the show, but it's been like a year since we talked about it. I know. That's why I remember that. But <laughs> So they can't use too many. Sometimes movies will do that. And so, but they, it was, I think, a missed opportunity and was good because they didn't overuse it. That yes. was like uh, doing what they should do. The other one is sweeping aerial kind of shots here. When the camera flies by the pearl, Elizabeth hanging kind of near the edge of the ship on the railing there. Yeah. thought that was a really great shot. Another one here, Elizabeth taking command. Well, kind of the uh, the number one role there. She's like the first mate kind of thing. You know, because she fills that first mate role to like implement Sparrow's command. He's like, Yeah, but she just steps on Gibbs by doing it. 
Hey, Gibbs should have stepped up at that point. <laughs> I don't think he was right there. Then somebody's got to do it. Did you hear Jack? He's like, uh, hard to starboard. <laughs> somebody's got to tell that to the crew. But I like that she stepped up and did it because it, it really shows She's her. She's taking control. And it reminded me of something when we were watching the movie. And I don't know how much we talked about it or if we did. When her dress is floating in the ocean after the Kraken destroys that other vessel, right? That merchant oh, yeah. ship. And you came up with something that in like a yeah, rare moment, in a rare moment of like clarity and insight for the movie. We were driving down the road. It was really rare. That's what shocked me and why I still remember it. I'm like, what? Is this my own brain thinking or is it actually Heather? And it turned out that it was you. <laughs> and you were saying something like, this is the moment that Elizabeth kind of really turns pirate or kind of sheds her other life. Yeah. And it's like puts that aside. She this sheds is, her other life. And, and becomes the pirate lady. Yeah. And because the dress, which represented her... High society, uh-huh. kind of proper lifestyle yeah. goes away. She's got her pirate digs on. And She's it's just not part of that life. Yeah, anymore. it's not she, part of it. It was really kind life. of cool. So I think this kind of dovetails with that because she's taking command. Then I also like the detailed kind of daylight views of the Flying Dutchman crew. Yes. It's the stuff of creepy horror shows right here. Oh, uh, yeah. And I'm sure we can talk about some of that later. Yeah. But I just wanted to highlight that on my list. And then followed up with that. Is the detailed kind of daylight views of the Pearl and the Dutchman. The craftsmanship is pretty incredible. Number seven, the side-by-side view of the two ships. I really like that for some reason. Number eight, the roar and clanking of the triple guns. Man, I just like that. Which I'll talk about triple guns later. But I really like that part. Number nine, the Dutchman kind of flying perpendicular to the Pearl as she turned hard to starboard. It's a great shot with cannon fire. It's minute 122. At the 22 second mark, thereabouts. I think it's a good shot. I just like the the setup for it. And the number 10, which is not the best, but not the top of my list, but it's still in my top 10. It's when Sparrow takes the wheel, but re- he's like refusing to drop the jar of dirt, though. Oh, yeah. So there's imminent danger, but he's still got to hold on to the dirt. So it's such like a great hit on his persona. It's like the serious aspect of it without relinquishing the superstitious part of him. It's all about the him reference there, which I thought was good. He's going to control the ship with one hand. Exactly. So that was my top 10 for these two minutes. Mm, Those are good good points in the the movie. I know it was. These are actually, you know, we were saying earlier, they're kind of difficult to talk about because, you know, what's going on is it's just a bunch of fighting and stuff. Well, kind of. We're just getting into the fighting. Yeah, because you haven't gotten to the point of like hard conversations or actions that it's it's kind of there you go. Yeah, it's right before we start fighting. But uh, the views, the pictures that we get in this in these couple of minutes are just amazing because you can see all the crew in daylight. You can see both ships in daylight, and just to see the work that was put into. Everyone and everything is it's crazy because those are both real ships. Exactly. They built them for these movies, the two yeah. movies. I mean, there's some stuff that they've done to it, enhanced it elsewhere, all those kinds of things that we talked about previously. But in essence, they are floating vessels. Yeah. 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 So it's just amazing because you this is complete daylight. You can see everything on them. Yeah. And even with really the characters. Cool. Yeah. It's, it is astounding. Again, they took the hermit crab budget. And put it into a few of these other characters. 
uh, yeah. from the previous minute to like double down on this stuff. And that was a wise decision. Yeah. Because those are what you remember. And they get up close and personal where you see detail on everything, including the ships. That's right. And the people, the crew members. So it's really kind of amazing visually. It's, yeah, there's a, uh, not a glossing over of stuff. They actually put so much time and effort into making sure that these two ships and, and the characters, the, uh, yeah, the Dutchman crew characters were, in fact, kind of up to par and would stand yeah. up the test of time kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And one of those characters I actually wanted to talk about. I don't remember talking about him before. But it's I could be say, wrong. So if we have... Hey, nobody out there will remember unless the new listeners are catching up. Then they'll be like, those asses. <laughs> what did I say? Asses. I can't... I almost <laughs> dropped that. Okay. Good job. Yeah. Beep. Uh, a little too late. <laughs> have already talked about this and now they're bringing it up. Yeah. For you, it's it's like the current present. For us, this is past, way past. <laughs> so we don't remember talking about this guy, but we could have. So just ignore I think he's it been mentioned. Have. I did find him in some notes. He was mentioned in his... But we didn't talk about him. I don't know how much we talked about okay. him. Okay. You get a really good face view of him. And his name is Ogilvy. And he's actually the gunner aboard. So he's the one that um, Davy Jones is telling to, about the third... The, the triple guns. Triple guns. The fire on the triple guns. Okay. So he's played by Jonathan Lindsley. And um, again, he is a head gunner on the Flying Dutchman. Uh, his transfer transformation was particularly startling. His face, you cannot tell he's human at all anymore. This guy is like <laughs> a garbage disposal face accident happening yeah, here. Yeah, It is not good. No, not at all. He's got one eye and it happens to be red. And his he's just like this deformed mouth. Kind of. He is disgusting. <laughs> he's, he's got problems. <laughs> um, and he speaks with the gravelly tone. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't do it. But anyway, and he wears a bandana on his try. head. Don't try. <laughs> and he also fights with a hook and carries a sword. Do they, they say what he is supposed to represent as a sea creature? Is that ever revealed? No, I just get um, coral-like. So he's just like kind he's of uh, live rock kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I might have to look into that, see if he's been identified as anything. Because he doesn't have a real standout appearance. No, he doesn't. It's not he's like Moray or just, no. uh, Macus, who's a shark and all that kind of stuff. No. Yeah. Um, a little bit of information, little bit of information on Jonathan Lindsley. He has 37 actor credits. He's best known for Ogilvy. And Dead Man's Chest and At World's End. Mm. So we know he makes it through to the next movie. Oh, and- <laughs> you just spoiled it for everybody. Um, he's actually done in uh, Phantom of the Opera as a workman. And Marshlin as a police sergeant. But out of all his acting credits, my favorite was summer, uh, The Summer Wine as Chunky Livesy. <laughs> Chunky Livesley in Summer Wine? Yes. I've never heard of this movie. The Summer Wine. All right. Yeah. But at least his face was probably shown in it. Because here... Oh, probably. I think in maybe maybe in 
at World's End, his face is shown because some spoilers to our hey! crew. Hey, maybe he gets transformed back to human. Hey, I don't know. you don't even know anything. I don't know. That is a violation of the movies by major code. violation. Okay, what else you got? Anything else? Uh, not not currently. Because I did want to. You brought up the triple guns again. Yeah, and like I said, we get this good taste, and this is using Davy Jones kind of words here of. The triple guns. And the Flying Dutchman was armed with these triple-barreled chase guns, really. These yeah. Also known as uh, the triple guns are these bow cannons that were positioned in these kind of mouths of these demon-faced gun port kind of things, mm, okay? I got a bit on that. Um, but I did a little rummaging for info on triple-barreled cannons because I thought, as I said, it was in my top ten list, just the noises and stuff that they make. And I discovered that none other than Leonardo da Vinci invented the triple barrel. Really? Yeah. His design featured three thin cannons that would be front-loaded and adjustable in height. And unlike traditional cannons, where one shot would be fired before reloading, da Vinci's cannon allowed soldiers to reload, or load, I should say, three shots at one time, enabling the fire more frequently. And the whole idea was a lighter weight and had large wheels on these things, which allowed this kind of... We couldn't call it a gun carriage to be moved around to different areas during battle. That was his whole premise. So it wasn't on ships, okay? Oh, okay. The invention of the triple barrel. But this isn't quite the same that we're seeing here. No. And another example that I found is called the Athens double-barreled cannon. It's not triple, but it's double. Okay. And it's the only one of its kind, and it's said to be among, and I'm quoting here, the most unusual relics ever to be preserved from the Civil War. Really? Yeah. So it was originally designed by John Geeland of Athens, Georgia, and built at the local foundry in 1863. Okay? And so everybody in the community was fearing that there was going to be an attack by the invading northern armies. Okay? So this guy gets together and thinks, hey, I need to help and do something here. So the concept was to load the cannon with two balls connected by a chain several feet in length. Okay? It's okay, kind of like yeah. chain shot here. And they... The premise is is that when fired, the balls and chain would whirl out and cut down enemy soldiers caught in the path of these kind of murderous missile kind of things, okay? And then things broke down from here, though. Because when the cannon was test-fired, it was uncontrollable. And a contemporary who witnessed the the firing of these test cannons, okay? Yeah. the, The test here. He reported the following, and this is a quote. It had a kind of circular motion, plowed up an acre of ground, tore up a cornfield, and mowed down saplings. The chain broke, the two balls going in opposite directions. One of the balls killed a cow in a distant field, while the other knocked down the chimney from a log cabin. The observers scattered as though the entire Yankee army had been turned loose in the vicinity. So it wasn't even the the Yankees were not even coming. It's their own dude trying to come up with something. All hell broke loose out there in Athens. And then, so obviously it was never used, and then I think the story goes that it was given to a museum out there and hmm. preserved, so it was kept. The the double barrel there. Uh, and then, as I was looking more closely at just the, the whole concept of the triple gun on the Dutchman, yeah, it actually looks more to me like a rotary gun, though, because it rotates Yes, when it fires. And it it's not like these other ones. It doesn't roll back like a regular cannon. No. And... So I ended up doing some research on rotary guns. And there's a term called the Hotchkiss gun. And it also refers to the Hotchkiss revolving cannon, 
which was a rotating barrel weapon invented in 1872 by Benjamin B. Hotchkiss, if you could imagine. That's why it's called a Hotchkiss gun. Hmm. It's like the whole Grant's tomb thing. So there were a few versions of this Hotchkiss gun that were actually used in naval defense against torpedo boats, as well as a fortress version firing shrapnel or canisters to like uh, defend moats or then the defense of moats. So that's triple guns. I didn't find anything that was really there. And then obviously things go into Gatlin guns and those kinds of things mm. now. But those were kind of early versions of it. And there were some rotary guns, although maybe not quite the same and have been invented later but uh it's there yeah but we don't need to we don't need to drill down on that because like i said it's in the top and i like the sound that it makes now while we're at the triple guns you got a taste for triple gun action don't you yes (laughs) i was taking a look at the triple gun ports which were pretty awesome actually i thought they were cool they were like big hairy monsters with large teeth (laughs) (laughs) are they hairy because of the design or because of the way that the wood is they were almost like it was a face and the the port was the mouth, right? Uh-huh. But along the face, it was like the hair, like kind of like Chewbacca's hair goes down around his Ooh, face. Star Wars reference. I'm you know, it's now. kind of it's kind of like that. You don't see eyes though, not really. They're not really. There are some kind yeah, of there's eyes. some kind it's, of form there, but not quite. It's almost eyes. like the knot of a tree kind of thing, or yeah, the way that yeah. everything comes together for yeah. that. Yeah, but it did have teeth. It did have teeth. It did have teeth. And then that whole area, that whole scene, this is where it pans on um, where you're really getting to see detail in the Flying Dutchman. And you see all the barnacles that are have built up over time, yeah. even on the triple guns. That makes sense, though, because it is underwater yeah. a lot. And then you see it's like it's crusty looking. It is crusty looking. Yeah. And then um, as you're zooming in towards the triple guns, you'll see all the rigging ropes. Uh-huh. They're all full of seaweed and algae and yeah. stuff like that, right? Except one rope. Oh, yeah. There was one rope in the scene where it looked like they just went out into the local store and purchased it. <laughs> the, the one lone clean rope. It's almost like when they attacked another ship, they're like, Davey, can we please get one more rope? The other one broke and it's all. And so he allowed them to take one item. And what they took was this clean rope. And now that's yeah. the, the rope that isn't. Everything else is algified and seaweedified, except that one lone rope. Yeah. That guy is pristine. <laughs> I don't know if they ran out of time or the guy who's supposed to put the effects on the rope was busy working on the, the damn hermit crab, but this one got forgot. I don't know if it was forgot on purpose or if it's part of the thing, and sometimes they just need new rope, I guess. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yep. And there's a ladder in that scene, a rope ladder. There's no way I would walk on that sucker. It looks like it's going to break at any moment. The one that's under, I don't remember seeing There's a rope ladder, ladder right between the two gun the two um huh. triple guns. There's hmm. a rope ladder and it looks like it's just going to It's going underwater It's just going to fall just apart in the Yeah, you don't want to do that. No. <laughs> there was something too I uh needed to revisit cuz in the last episode we were chatting about the crewman versus henchman discussion. Oh yeah. You know, and the Dutchman. Yeah. Something that came up based on closed captions and something. I think that's what it was. And I kind of settled in with the crewman aspect and more so on the indentured crewman by the end of the kind of thought process there. But after watching Minute 123 more carefully, I think I need to change my mind. I'm actually changing my mind. Because here's the deal. There's a definite class structure aboard the Dutchman, okay? You have the indentured crewman. 
those kind of under the crack of the whip of Jones here. Yeah. And those that are more on par with the henchman kind of idea. For example here, and this is what that caused it to break open for me. And a case could definitely be made that some of these pirates, like Macus, he's the shark guy. Yeah. Is more of a henchman, kind of as he's on board with everything that Jones is doing. He drank the Davy Jones Kool-Aid like no tomorrow, okay? And that's why he gets kind of the pleasure out of torturing other crewmen around. Specifically, those responsible for turning the capstan that summons the Kraken. Yeah. He whips Wheel back. He hits Wheel back with the whip. Was that uh, Macus that did that? Yeah, or... Okay, maybe it wasn't Macus, but it was... Who was that? It wasn't Macus, but it was right there. there. There's like people who are... Is what I'm saying in. Yeah, he was... There's somebody that whips Wheel back, okay? Yeah. And if they were all good with the plan, with Davy Jones kind of thing, there'd be no need to whip any of these no. guys. They would just do it. So it's like Will's father, you know, Bootstrap. Bootstrap is not a crewman or a henchman. He's kind of this in servitude. He's the indentured crewman. Yeah. So I think it makes way more sense than like this blanket kind of black and white statement that we have degrees of gray here. Kind of these 50 shades of gray, anyone? Of... They keep mentioning Fifty Shades in the last I did. Episode. I'm just going to keep mentioning it if it comes up. Have you seen the movie recently or something? I have not. Are you watching it without me around the house? At work, I do. Oh, okay. That's a weird movie but, to watch at work. Hey, I do what I need to do. HR, and, maybe? <laughs> I do HR stuff for work. Oh. So I'm all right with it. I've, I've given myself a pass. But that's what I'm thinking that there's a difference here. That some of these guys are henchmen. Some of these guys are indentured crew. And that's kind of what we see. Because some of them come aboard not of their free will. And they kind of refuse to do what they need to do. That's, that's yeah. what I'm just going yeah. back to. Kind of where I'm at. And since we did mention earlier some of the nautical talk, I guess. Besides hard to starboard that we get from Jack, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, and Jones that I mentioned earlier. And a reminder, starboard is the right side of the ship. It's like when you're looking forward towards the bow. It's the right side. You get the port, you get the larboard kind of thing, right? Yeah. So we get a couple of kind of good seafaring phrases here. Sailing stuff. As I said, nautical stuff in these minutes. It's brace up the foreyard as you kind of started to talk about. Yep. Run her light. Douse canvas, which I think is to drop the sail quickly. And then there's kind of a bit of faux naval strategy that's happening here. Because according to Terry Rossio and Ted Elliott, Terry... Rossio and Ted Elliott. Ted Elliott? Ted Elliott. Did I say that correctly in the beginning? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know what happened there. But apparently, the idea is that they uh, ditched kind of the best practices of uh, naval battle strategy in favor of kind of good filmmaking. Because they thought, hey, you know, like, I mean, okay, you can look at it from the standpoint of maybe that there's a smaller kind of narrower target if you turn your ship perpendicular. Yeah. But they suggest that when you do that, it can actually cause more damage from cannon fire because it goes lengthwise through a ship as opposed oh. to just blasting through broadside. Yeah. So it goes the, it could go the entire length of the ship. But they said that it looked really good for the film and that the way that they could look out the back of the captain's quarters and see the Dutchman in pursuit. And it just opened up all kinds of things. So they kind of ditched actual naval strategy. But I didn't really dive in to see if that was true or not. Well, there you can see it. It was it was great filmmaking because you could actually see the two ships side by side. Well, before they turn, yeah, you could see the two ships side as by they side. were turning. They were yeah, turning. that's correct. As they were that's turning, that's correct. Yeah. You could see the two ships side by side. You could see them, the fronts of both of them, 
and then you could kind of see the sides of them. That's right. Uh, which was a really cool visual effect. I think it, yeah. Because I liked then it. you can, I mean, it looks like, you know, the Flying Dutchman looks so evil with all its algae and barnacles, and it just looks so unkept, and nobody's taking care of the Flying Dutchman. Of course, it's underwater all the time, but it's like nobody takes care of the sucker, you know? And then you look at the Black Pearl, which is, you can tell is loved. You know, they take care of it. Yeah, its sails are patched, but it's taken care of. It's oiled down or painted or whatever, you know, and they just take good care of it. Or take better care of it. Because well, it got into care. disrepair at some points we saw. Yeah, but not when it was in Davy or in... Uh, That's true. Jack's hands. Uh, and when we do see the Dutchman, the only thing that... And I started getting stuck on this. Boy, that does not look like a good streamlined sailing ship there for speed right uh that caught my attention not that you know it doesn't have some magical powers to it and some mystical powers uh mythology with it but that was my thoughts like look at how nice and sleek the black pearl is versus the dutchman with all this stuff hanging around it just would make even the barnacles alone just just create drag for it yeah speaking of mythology in pirate culture, the word, word mythology does not exist. Really? Yes. The Kraken was a real creature. Oh, well, yeah. That really existed during the golden age of piracy and earlier. That makes sense, though. We talked about some stuff in the very first Curse of the Black Pearl with the maps and how there was things on there. So, yeah. yeah revisit season one. It's actually, the Kraken is actually a squid. That's Not great. an octopus. And a, clo- a close living descendant are the colossal squid, the giant squid, and oh, yeah. the Humboldt squid. That's correct. Yeah. I do like some giant squid. The sizes being uh, from biggest to smallest are as follows: Kraken is fifty foot long. Giant squ- the giant squid is forty three feet long. Colossal is thirty three feet long, and Humboldt is four foot long. And maybe up to six feet long. There you go. I think some of the bigger ones are. But yeah, very cool. Yeah. Also had some other history tidbits, not just the triple gun stuff, but and since you were bringing up Kraken, squids Kraken. and all that kind of fun stuff. So the very, very last kind of shot in this minute, in, in minute 123, this grouping here, we really get this kind of cool setup, this excellent shot of the Black Pearl. It's the deck of it. While well, everyone is celebrating kind of thing that... Hey, they're giving up, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. And Jack's head is right in the center. And the the whole idea is that the camera is looking kind of, he's in the foreground, but all the crew is in the background. They're waving and yelling down below. So I had a couple of thoughts on this whole situation here. First, it's like, dang, holy shiite Batman here. Because how could anybody move about on the deck? I don't know. I mean, it's full of crew, the rigging, the cannons. I mean, there's so much stuff here. It's incredible. I thought. Log boats. Longboats there too. It's, it just amazes me that you could get around on that without just falling over. Yeah, you couldn't up. get anywhere quick. There's no way. God dang it. That was crazy. Yeah. And then my second thought was, and this is after I was sitting there going, just really peering at this whole setup, leaving it on pause, putting it on the TV so I could really drill down with the eyeballs. And I came up with something. What's that? There's a lot of beards down there. <laughs> and not that beardy is a topic that I think everybody expected to go down in like a pirate's podcast. But wait, 
there is a bit of history with this because here's a quote from Samuel Pepys or Pepys, maybe who knows Pepys, probably the diary of Samuel Pepys, September 17th, 1666 up be times and shaved myself after a week's growth. But Lord, how ugly I was yesterday and how fine today. <laughs> so it appears one of the modern beliefs about sailors and pirates is that they would be dirty, unshaven, kind of something which we see here in like a Pirates of the Caribbean film thing, yeah. right? But it's not just Pirates of the Caribbean. There's been other kind of tales and pirates and sailors and all this kind of stuff of you think of these kind of scraggly guys. And historians think that part of this may have kind of grown from the myth that surrounds Blackbeard. And some people think that Blackbeard's notoriety or people remembering him, and especially in the early part of the his kind of rise to infamy, is that he was distinguished because he had a beard just in general. Hmm. And they also think that part of it probably comes from the notion that when men are kind of cooped up together for months in a closed environment, they begin to, uh, say, abandon social niceties. Let's just put it <laughs> like that, right? Especially if we're talking pirates and, you know, group of kind of criminal elements here right that why bother shaving if there's no, no ladies here right yep but deeper diving it's like the kind of the conclusion from historians and stuff is that facial hair was out of fashion in the late 17th century and the early mid 18th century kind of right where we're falling with the pirates yeah. of the caribbean film thing and to be and the, the whole thing was being clean shaven was more common it huh. had become more common. And you can see that quite a bit in, and mind you, you can't take drawings for history, but representations of some of the time that they show a lot of people, un, you know, clean shaven. Oh, yeah. And so they think that if that is true representation in paintings and stuff, uh, that that was kind of the correct thing at the time. Yeah. To be uh, beardless. And uh, I thought that was pretty interesting that so many of them down there were bearded, kind of castaway bearded, you know. It's just unruly. They had been rescued off of Rum Runner's Isle because they didn't have, you know, a couple of sea turtles to harness themselves <laughs> with. Or maybe they were growing their hair. So they could, they could harness sea that's turtles. That's correct. That's also possible. And since we're all in this kind of these two minutes, actually, with these sailors, everybody's all excited. And I didn't bring it up last time, but we did talk in the, you know, in the past about some of the locations of the episodes and the islands and things that they were on. And... There is a little bit of, say, magic behind the scenes, but these two minutes actually kind of illustrate the incredible special effects taking place, I think, in the movie when it comes to ships and sailing and stuff. And for some of the shots, we see, you know, kind of like the Dutchman breaching the water as it surfaces in the previous minute. Yeah. This all happened kind of in this, like a an open tank, if you will. And, and I'll, I'll share a link that has some photos of what this looks like. And by the way, the Dutchman surfacing was not just... A bunch of CGI, but they actually pulled the ship from the depths of this tank via a crane to give it kind of a real breaching feel. Hmm. And all of this, this tank, this all this stuff took place on the Grand Bahamas. And so after five years of negotiating for this stuff, I guess you can let's just call it stuff, and this up-and-coming Bahamas film studio that was, you know, looking to get things rolling and then you know had partnership with Disney, they we're looking to lease a site of, of a decommissioned U.S. Air Force missile tracking station that built in the 50s, okay? Yeah. And so this 3,500-acre property included an 8-foot 
or an 8,000-foot paved runway that would be used to fly in producers, directors, stars, all those guys. And there was even barracks and administrative buildings that could become production offices, makeup places, wardrobe, set facilities, all that other stuff. And so they get this thing and they realize, you know, we should really, we could really make something great for, for sea shots and ocean shots. And so this tank was completed in the summer of 2005 for Disney and is the largest open water tank in the Western Hemisphere. Measuring approximately 640 feet by 400 feet and 30 feet deep. Wow. Yeah. They built this as a sort of artificial cove and partially submerged in the ocean. This tank offers filmmakers nearly sea level views and basically so they could kind of pan across the horizon um, for action shots, which was awesome. And... The pool is also equipped with a unique kind of gimbal system for special effects control of the film's featured pirate ships in the movies from the Black Pearl, the Edinburgh, Flying Dutchman, the Endeavor, all these kinds of things that you know, span some of the movies. And it's called the Collier Tank in memory of one of the original partners in the Enterprise, Michael Collier. Oh, really? Yep. Very so there cool. You go. Interesting. The largest tank for big budget swashbuckler movie. There you go. <laughs> Into the future, pirates will prevail. Finally, we've conquered death. All our worries gone. Every night, our souls will rest till the break of dawn. When the ship sails on, back into beyond, over again. When I sing the song, this my home. Until the end, centuries across the sea is not enough for me. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally With the life of piracy Hail the curse of Gilmeggie And hail Captain Blood I do have a little goof in the movie I know we gotta tread I know we always say we tread lightly On the goofs and mistakes We do But go for it Um, You do see the Flying Dutchman Take out the cabin The uh, Jack's cabin Captain's cabin Uh huh and with the cannon fire. Yeah, we were just talking about that, actually. Yeah. yeah. And then when you see a little bit later, when you see the back of the Black Pearl again. Yeah. It is all complete. No Seriously? Cannon oh, hole. I got to relook at that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, I figured that was a lot of CGI stuff there. Yeah. No cannon hole in it. Oh, well, that's a kind of a bummer. You kind yeah. of forget about that stuff. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to have to look it up. Not that we dwell on this, but... That's an interesting tidbit. Just a little bit. Just a little, little thing. Hmm. Well, I need to pay more attention. I need to scrutinize and analyze better, I guess. I don't know. That's all I got. That's it? That is it for me. Wow. I know. I think, uh... Oh! Oh, see, One one last thing. What? Did you notice the ladder going up the side of the Black Pearl? I mean, I saw... It's like a ladder built on the side. It looks like like it was made out of big boards kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Blocks I thought that was kind of interesting. Well, they need a way, I guess, if... Somebody goes, it's, well, if you had the long boats, they would crawl up from the side. They came back before they would hoist them back up. Oh, yeah. They weren't hoisting them up with all those they people weren't? in there. Oh. No, they didn't have anybody just... They didn't have, like, a machine doing it. They're like, you bastards, I'm not pulling this up. If you guys are all sitting in there, you get your asses on board, and then we'll pull up the long boat. <laughs> if you think you want 10 men in there, you know, adding a 1,000 pounds, you're like, get the hell out of here. Yeah. Oh, and one of my fav- most favorite parts of the movie this couple of minutes what? is when Pentel is kissing the side of the Black Pearl and urging her yeah, on. Yeah, I didn't really mention that. That's a good... It says, go on, me darling. Show us what you've got. 
And then you hear Gibbs say, come on, girl. <laughs> yeah, there's, it's interesting. This, yeah, this is all about, at this point, it's all for us. And, yeah. and I, Gibbs, not so much. I know, you know, we can revisit Gibbs, but Pintel and Rigetti definitely are all for themselves. Oh, which yeah, is always kind of happen. a Jack is all for himself. So there's a couple of those characters that are, that's what they do. And so it's, it's nice to see. I guess it's kind of cool to see them urging on the... Uh, urging on the Black Pearl. Yeah. Come on, girl. That's it for me. Well, I guess then I just got a thanks for listening, scallywags. You know the drill. If you like the show, just give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us grow the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call. Come on. Freaking give us a call if you got something. It's 8637-PIRATE. We just might put your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook, our Facebook listeners group, and on Twitter. Dormant Twitter, I should say. All the links are on blackpearlshow.com. It is that easy. And of course, yeah, we're here. We're delivering Pirates of the Caribbean info to the masses as the dirty, filthy, freaking bilge rats we are. Analyzing, scrutinizing, and plundering. So until then, scallywags, let's keep the horn swoggling to a minimum. I mean, God, I have to keep reminding you, it's been years I've been telling you. Just keep it to a minimum out there. I where's me rum? It's not enough for me. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally. What life of piracy. Hail the gruesome Kilmanky and hail Captain Blood. Hail Captain Blood. Listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilgerats know that Disney and Bruckheimer films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, maybe Heather. This is a Shout Reach Media Production.